we had well up over 50 people at our congregation meeting a little while ago. And so for those who were there, I've got one thing to say. Is it hot in here to anybody else? <clears throat> if you weren't in there, you're just going, I don't get it. See what you miss when you don't come to congregational meetings? <laughs> Jeff mentioned the name of the sermon being difficult to, to pick out songs. I, I've told some of you this story before, but I, I guess I'll just tell it now and retire it forever. It, it, this actually happened to me when I was a student at Fried Hardeman. Uh, the song leader at one of the local congregations called me early one Sunday morning and said, Adam, I'm not feeling well today. Um, I'm feeling okay enough to lead singing this morning. Can you lead singing tonight? And I said, oh, okay. I was planning on being there anyway. And he, he, he said, now you know... I usually try to pick out songs that go along with the sermon, but don't worry about that. It's short notice. And I said, well, I'll try. What's the sermon about? He said, alcoholism. So I said, the invitation song should not be there's a fountain free then, should it? And he still let me lead singing that night. I couldn't believe it. I was like, it's great. A lot of houses have one. But don't tell the people that live there. Oh, they, they may know it to some degree, but they don't know the full impact of what you're saying when you think that's an ugly couch. And now, I have to tell you the pressure of putting this PowerPoint together. Because I thought if I put that up there and somebody actually has a couch, or someone says, that looks just like my favorite aunt's house and she just passed away three weeks ago or something, I'll tell you where this picture came from in just a few minutes. But the reason they don't say anything is there's a chance they may not think it's ugly. That's ugly. Or, or there's a chance that they just can't afford something. We understand that. But there's another reason why sometimes every house has one of those pieces of furniture. Maybe it's now in a room that nobody really uses that much anymore. Maybe it's in a room where the kids just watch movies or something. But it's not gotten rid of, even though it's been out of style since before Al Gore invented the internet. And that reason is simple, and that is, it's comfortable. It's ugly, but it's comfortable. And I just wonder if sometimes in various areas in our life as a body of believers, if it can't be represented by that couch. Is it not possible that sometimes we just get comfortable in how we do things, instead of seeing things that aren't good and can be improved on, we just sort of continue on that way because it's easy and it's comfortable. I didn't come here tonight to say that everything that's old is bad. It certainly isn't. Also, certain things that are comfortable are not bad. But on the heels of our congregational meeting a few minutes ago, I'm not going to preach all that long, but I want us to think tonight about some things that we as a body of believers, if we're not careful, can begin to become like that couch. We just kind of keep doing them because we just kind of keep doing them. And we don't do our best to seek to improve on those things. I'll go ahead and tell you, there are very few verses in the lesson tonight, but the principles I hope you will see are found throughout Scripture in the overall concept of doing the best we can do as unto the Lord. And just for a few moments, I want to talk about four areas in our congregational life. And we can make application to every personal life if we wanted to, but I want to, I want to think for us to think tonight, excuse me, as a church family, four areas if we're not careful, we can just let get very comfortable 
and not continue to seek to improve and do the very best that we can. First of all, is in the area of evangelism. If there is any area of our life as a church where we do not need to let it become like an ugly couch, it's in our efforts to reach the lost. But here's the thing that sometimes happens. If I may use the word success, you can put that in quotation marks, but if we have success in the area of evangelism, sometimes it can lull us into that sort of ugly couch mode because we think we're done. We've done the best we can do. We've done something. Someone's been baptized or two or three people have come back to the Lord or whatever it is. So, so we must be finished. We must be doing the best we can do. But we have the attitude that we've done everything we can do. That really should scare us. And the reason is we still know people who are lost. We know people who are lost around the world. We know people who are lost wherever we may happen to live. Our own neighborhoods, our own apartment complexes, our workplaces, our schools on our ball teams, and elsewhere. One of the missionaries we support, Daniel Gaines, sends regular reports. Many of you get those through email. He always does a great job of making those very encouraging as he works in, in Tanzania and, and nations around there. But if you haven't read those, or maybe you just haven't really paid attention to how he signs off those emails, it's always very encouraging to me. It could just be something like, you know, sincerely or best wishes, or maybe it could be something like, we love you, or thank you for your support. That's not what he does. Before his name is always this phrase, until all have heard. Until all have heard. That needs to be our attitude, not just in foreign missions on another continent. That needs to be our attitude wherever we live. Every conversation we have, every interaction we have, every person around us is someone who either is faithful to the Lord or who needs the Lord. And if it's not the former, we need to do our best to make the latter the former. We need to do our best to make those who have not been, help those who are not faithful, be faithful to the Lord. Jesus gave the Great Commission. We know that the marching orders from the church to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. But sometimes we see that only as, well, there's now over 8 billion people in the world. We just crossed that threshold a few weeks ago. And I'm only one, and we as a body of believers are only a couple of hundred compared to 8 billion. But every one of us knows one. Every one of us lives near one or interacts with one. Do we ever try to reach out to that one? And so as it pertains to us as a body of believers, as a family, when it comes to things like our card writing teams and visitation, do we put our very best foot forward? For those who work in World Bible School, do you do that with great joy and passion? When a Mission Monday rolls around and we're, we're doing whatever we're, we're doing that particular month to reach our community and encourage the lost, we, we should have a building just overflowing with people who want to do what they can do. But too often... We sort of sink into a comfy couch of, well, we tried something sometime, or, well, we baptized somebody way back then, or, well, someone responded at some point. When there are people all around us who are lost and who are dying without Jesus. We sometimes sing very, very haunting words if we really pay attention to them. It's a song we sing called Swiftly Returning, and one of the verses opens with these words, Souls that are precious, souls that are dying, while we rejoice, our sins are forgiven. Can I change the lyrics of that song to fit with our lesson? 
There are souls that are precious and souls that are dying while we sink into a comfortable couch. We think we've done everything we can do. God is taking care of us, so we're just good. We never need to let our efforts in evangelism just become comfortable. Number two, as a congregation, we never need to let our Bible school program become just something we just do to just do. You read through your New Testament, you're never going to find the phrase Bible school program or Sunday school program anywhere in the New Testament. You're not going to turn to, to 1st or 2nd Corinthians and see where the church at Corinth had a Bible school program, or you're not going to turn to the, the book of Galatians and see where Paul told them how to organize their Sunday school program. That's, we, we understand that. But when elders decide for a congregation to have such a program, and that's going to be part of the work, it should also be then what we're going to do the very best we can do to utilize that to teach those who need more teaching and to use it to reach out to others, to teach children, to teach adults, to teach all of us. But far too often in many congregations, a Bible school program, a Sunday school program, whatever it's called, just becomes something we, we just do. And less and less effort sometimes is made to keep it updated, to keep it strong, and to be involved. Sometimes that's done because a congregation maybe purchases curriculum and just relies so heavily on that curriculum that no effort is ever made to improve on those lessons or to add to it, to make them more, or they stick more with young people or with adults. Sometimes it's done because maybe a congregation doesn't have that many kids and so they just don't put much effort into it. Sometimes it's done in adult classes or we just kind of study whatever and not a lot of effort is put into preparing lessons or thinking about the big picture of what needs to be discussed. I told you this when I taught the class on Revelation. I actually read this had happened somewhere, but I was actually where it happened one time. Well, there was a church that was going through the New Testament verse by verse, and they were getting near the night. I was there. I care if they were in 3 John or Jude, but they were getting near the end of the New Testament. And so the question came, what are we going to study after we finish Jude? We're going verse by verse. And I'm thinking, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm thinking, I know what comes last. The decision was made not to study Revelation. We're going back to Matthew. Revelation is just too hard. Now, is it hard? Yeah. I've taught it twice here. Once for adults and once for high schoolers. But sometimes there's just not that effort made. We need to be very, very thankful that we are at a congregation where our elders put a premium on all of us from cradle roll to adults, having an emphasis on Bible school being Bible school, but on doing all we can within, within the confines of the budget and effort and everything else to see that it's regularly reviewed, to see that it's we're, we're the best we can do. If this picture doesn't look familiar to you, by the way, that's from our building. It's upstairs. It's less than half of, of a room with materials for our young people in their Bible school program that so many have worked on over quite a number of years now so the teachers can have materials for lessons for years and years to come. I'm thankful that we have teachers who do seek to try to make those lessons where they stick, whether it's to a child or to teenagers or to adults. I'm thankful for the room we have and for other resources that are given. But it's up to all of us to make certain that it doesn't just happen just because it's always happened. It's up to us to make certain that we're present to hear and to learn and to do our very best. I know sometimes there are some who can't come to Bible class for various reasons, but very often it's just because, well, I just didn't wake up in time. I can be at work at 7.30 in the morning, but I can't be at Bible class at 9.30 in the morning. But also, am I making certain 
as a teacher or as someone who wants to support the program, that I'm doing whatever I can to do the very best. Let's always make sure that we put our best foot forward. Number three is our physical space. This one's really hard to teach about, preach about, because you can look like I'm just nitpicking. That's, that's not my goal. What I do want to think about is this. When a congregation, as we have here, decides to have a building, which obviously we have, we're in one and we're, we should be thankful for, and then maybe add on to the building, maybe Bible classes such as we have, or an annex, or a fellowship hall such as we have, or a parking lot such as we have, or whatever it is, so often we just get comfortable with, well, it's going to become where it's in disrepair and things are going to happen and are we just comfortable with it? Now, is the church building the most important thing? No. Absolutely not. And we shouldn't try to just spend all of our money on the building to have some massive golden structure. That's not it. It wouldn't be wise stewardship of the, of the Lord's money anyway. But if we're going to have a building, it needs to be done as unto the Lord. Are we caring for things in a way that honors God or are we just kind of comfortable? There are all kinds of things that can be done that don't need a lot of expertise or money, but just sometimes just get left undone because it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And Sometimes we just say, well, we need an official program, or we need to make sure we have a big work days. How about we just get some of them done? For some of us, it might be because, well, that's down the hallway or something, and I don't go down that hallway. I sit in the auditorium and go to an auditorium class and I kind of leave out this hallway and never, I never go upstairs. I haven't been up to the baptistry area in years. I was baptized 15 years ago and I haven't been up there. For, I don't know what these areas look like. Can I give you a challenge? And I'm being serious. When we're dismissed tonight, tour the building. Just tour the building. And just see, are there things that need to be taken care of? I guarantee you they are because that picture is from our building. That's not one I just pulled off the internet for the fun of it. But that's not, just, that's not the only one. I'm not doing this just to make us feel bad. I just wonder sometimes if we just get comfortable with my little area or my little classroom or maybe because, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's not the most important thing. But it is important we make sure but this is a place where people come and they're comfortable learning about God and where they want to bring their children and they want to seek a place where they can feel safe and secure and do their very best. Number four is the area of fellowship. Now how could it be possible for just hanging out to be a, a comfortable, ugly couch? There's a lot of ways. Here's a couple. One is we just don't do it. In other words, we, we could see fellowship activities and things going on in the calendar but never take advantage of them and so we're just never around each other. But more than that, we can also struggle to fellowship when we don't really understand what fellowship actually is. We sometimes talk about fellowship. What we mean is, of course, a potluck right, or a picnic. That's, that's what it means. right? That's, that's not it. We're going to be part of it. It can help with that, but that's not it. When you read the word fellowship in the New Testament, you're reading a word that means things like being partners together, cooperating, taking part in together. In other words, it's an intentional effort to truly know one another as best we can and to be involved in each other's lives. And so when we're not doing that, we're being apathetic toward those in the church that we're supposed to be trying to be drawn closer to and so we can grow together and work together. Let me just ask a few very simple questions that I've needed to ask for myself as I put this lesson together. 
When's the last time you tried to get to know someone new who worships here? When's the last time you attended one of those fellowship meals, potlucks or something? When's the last time you texted or wrote or called someone that you didn't know all that well, but you knew they needed encouragement, so you just texted or wrote them or called them as a member of the church and just said, I want to get to know you better and encourage you. The larger a congregation grows, I know the more difficult it is. I've actually heard people, thankfully not here, but in my past, I've heard people say, I never want the church to get all that big because I wouldn't know everybody. Tell that to the church at Jerusalem in, in the book of Acts. They had 5,000 people or more. But they made every effort they could to meet daily, house to house, in the temple, getting to know one another. Let's make sure that we seek to be together. Here in a few minutes when we're dismissed, our young people are going to have a devotional over the annex. I'll just say it. There shouldn't be a young person who leads. They should all be over there. Yes, for the lesson and, and the singing and all of that, but because it's an opportunity for them to grow closer together, to be encouraged by fellowshipping with one another. Remember this picture? You do because your eyes are still burning from about 20 minutes ago. Let me tell you where it came from. When I was putting this lesson together, I came across something that shouldn't have surprised me, but it did. I found a lot of places, magazines, radio stations, and others, that held ugly couch contests. And this was a winner. Or a loser, however you want to think of it. They were asking for photo proof of the ugliest couch they could find. And so presumably the winners were like that. But as I looked at a few of the pictures and then turned my face away and I looked at a few more pictures, it was interesting to me that some of the couches that I saw submitted for those contests looked like couches I've sat in. In people's homes, in dorm rooms, in hotels, and elsewhere. And I wondered, how embarrassing would it have been if you loved that couch and somebody said, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. In fact, it's the ugliest couch we can find. Often, the reason that happens isn't because it's pretty, isn't because even it has sentimental value, but because it's so comfortable that we just stop paying attention to it. As it pertains to furniture, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. Ladies, I hate to tell you that, but it's not that big of a deal. But as it pertains to the things of God and the church, just getting comfortable can be extremely dangerous. While we can never change Scripture, of course, and while not everything that's old or comfortable is a bad thing, the point is that we simply cannot just get so comfortable with things that, that, are, that are right that we don't seek to make them the best they possibly can be. Because if we are going to be God's people, then that needs to be reflected in how we treat every last detail that connects to being the people of God. We simply can't be comfortable all the time or we'll end up being like that old couch. Instead, 
We need to strive for the glory of God in all that we do and seek to do our very best in everything we would do to His glory. Are we going to get it right all the time? Are there going to be some things that fall through the cracks? Of course there are. We're people. But let's never just be comfortable being comfortable. Let's be certain that where the Bible speaks, we never change. But we do our very best to put our best face forward in evangelism, in teaching the Bible, in our physical space, if you will, and in fellowship one with another. Jeff, you thought it was hard to pick out songs for this lesson. Try transitioning from that to an invitation. But here's how I want to do it. God gave His very best. Why would we, be, why would we ever be comfortable giving anything less? God asks and commands for our all. All your heart, soul, mind, strength. Be comfortable giving Him any less. Have you given Him your life? Are you giving Him your all? If not, will you come? Always stand and sing to encourage you.